Hey King's Arms, uh, great to be speaking with you online today and I thought I would just um, uh, do something that I did in person a few weeks ago. I felt the Lord prompt me to speak about the events that happened to myself and Caroline um, over the last um, few weeks, a uh, few months now um, and I did it in person but it wasn't, there wasn't a chance to record it so I thought actually it'd be great for you guys who are connecting online to hear this story. Um, hopefully for your encouragement, but also just to catch up with what's going on in my world. So, um, first week of January, I had flashing lights, increased number of floaters in my right eye, um, and then January the 7th, I lost the vision in the left corner of my eye, and I, so I phoned Moorfield Hospital in London, they said, you need to come down first thing tomorrow morning, it sounds like you've got a retinal detachment, it's an emergency. And I, I had just um, uh, real terror grab me. Um, the thought of losing my sight was just terrifying. I'd had a cataract surgery some... Um, a year or so ago and they uh, at the time they said it was a, a slight risk a slight increased risk of having, having a retinal detachment um, but I never uh, thought that would happen and then suddenly I was gripped with this in your face thought of losing the sight and I was just so so afraid. Caroline called people to pray and we had a really long night without much sleep before going down to London 7am the next morning I saw the consultant by 10 and he said yep it's an emergency we need to operate today I knew it was serious when he said, you need to sign this uh, risk assessment. And um, uh, I said, well, what's the risk? He said, well, there's a one in chance, one in a thousand chance of losing your sight by a complication of the operation. And I said, well, what happens if I don't have the operation? He said, well, you'll lose your sight in two days. Sign here. You know, so it was, as soon as you put it like that, it doesn't seem like much of a choice, you know, passing me the pen. So anyway, they did surgery that afternoon and just um, so thankful for the NHS and um, I'll save the details for those who are squeamish, but it involves lasers, a bubble of gas, and cryo-freezing, which is something I thought only happened to Han Solo, but it is a real thing. And I know it's a real thing, because during the surgery, the surgeon said to the nurse, the cryo-gun's not working, and she did something and fixed it, which I was very glad of. Anyway, sent me home, and uh, I had to be face down for the first day, um, and then you basically have to sit still for a week, only moving my head for every 10 minutes out of every hour, because you have to let the bubble um, hold the retina back in place while the laser and the cryo stick the retina back to the back of the eye. Anyway, over the next couple of days, I got this black shadow that started to appear across the top of my vision. It didn't look anything like they said it would look after surgery. And actually, it looked just like the first time my retina had attached. So I called Moorfields again. The doctor said, that doesn't sound good. You better get down here first thing tomorrow. And I phoned a friend who's an optician. I was in a real panic. I said, you know, what should I do? He said, nothing. You can, the best you can do, the best thing you can do is stay as still as you can. So that night, Caroline said, are you going to sleep? I was like, I'm just, just no way I'm going to sleep. I'm just going to sit as still as I can and she said you're going mad I said, I'm just going to pray in tongues I'm going to worship so that's what I did I, it was a it was a long night anyway um we went down again the next day Caroline was amazing she hates driving in London at the best of times and she had to do it again under the most stressful conditions um this line uh, this black shadow was moving down my sight as I was as we were driving um, anyway, we get there, we see the consultant about nine, he looks at the eye and he says, it's perfect, it's healing perfectly, it's all good. <laughs> so, so why can I see the black uh, shadow instead of clear above the line like I'd been told? And, and he said, it's because of the cataract surgery um, that you had. It's uh, um, the way the light reflects off the plastic lens that's in your eye is, um, is impacting um, uh, what you can see. So I was like, oh, <laughs> somebody had told me that. Anyway. So back to sitting still for another week and uh, or so. I saw the consultant uh, 16 days after surgery and he's like, off you go, go live your life with any luck, won't see you again. Uh, I tell you, 
When I walked out of that place, the sky was blue. It was a great moment. I've got 100% vision back um, by the grace of God. It will stay that way. So um, I, I just felt like it was important to just share something of this. We had such an outpouring of love and prayers of support, and we're so grateful um, for everyone who prayed for us. And, and as you'd expect, there's a few things the Lord taught us through the process, taught me through the process, and I hope um, that, uh, yeah, it's okay just to share a few things with you now as a, off the back of <clears throat> that whole experience. The first thing is this, unprocessed disappointment robs you of faith. You know, a verse I've quoted many times, Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. I've preached it, I've counseled it, I've tried to live it, but I tell you, when the pressure's on, what's inside gets exposed. And what I realized in those two nights of terror was that I'd not processed properly the disappointment I live with because of my ongoing um, tinnitus condition. I have chronic tinnitus. I have chronic insomnia, which I've lived with for the past seven years. And it meant when it came to it, I struggled to believe that God would save my sight. And I've had a little time since then to um, process, but I feel like I need to take more time to properly deal with some stuff, repent, help ask the Lord to change my thinking. Uh, I'm gutted that I allowed that stuff to lodge in my heart. And and I would urge us in this season to bring pain and disappointment before the Lord. I know many of us have picked up all sorts of pain and disappointment through the COVID season. And the Lord is calling us to repent graciously, kindly, calling us to change our thinking and to believe him again for extraordinary miracles, to believe him again for breakthroughs, because we're called to be a people of faith who trust our God. And uh, unprocessed stuff that we haven't dealt with is a huge blockage for that. Um, that was the first thing that kind of came to me out of this experience. And the second thing is, it is time for war. You know, there's a healing anointing over our church and I think the enemy has come to destroy it. And that starts with me. It's a spiritual battle. I've had numerous sicknesses now for the last seven years since 2015. It has literally been one thing after the other and I'm not the only one. There have been numbers of others in leadership and in the church battling with sicknesses of all different kinds. And I realize that all of this has slowly insidiously eroded my present expectation for healing. And I think as I've talked with others, the other people feel the same way. I've tolerated it and I'm really sorry for letting that happen because I just believe it's time to go to war, to contend in a new way for breakthrough faith like we've never seen before. And, and there are some incredible things we have seen before. You know, we've seen a nearly blind person see in our town, deaf people here, cancer disappear, broken arms and legs, there were countless other miracles. This is our inheritance and there's a war on and I've been slow to see that there's a war on. <clears throat> I was talking to one of my Nigerian friends and he said, I literally see a war room. We need a place to go to war. And that was something that he got out of uh, his experience growing up, uh, a prayer war room. There was this moment about midnight on the second night Caroline received a text that said, this is enough. I command the, the devil to leave the Holly's household in Jesus' name. And something rose in uh, Caroline's spirit. She got out of bed and came and prayed for me. And just this real peace descended that helped me get through that night. So the second thing is, I just believe it is time to go to war. That there's something, there's a call on us as a community to fight for healing and fight for miraculous breakthrough, uh, to, to contend with God and to contend for this breakthrough to come again in fresh power, a fresh wave, wave of life and power. A third thing is that the simplest prayers can be the most profound. You know, um, one story and one prayer came back to me again and again. Uh, it's from Mark 10, where Jesus is walking along and they come across a blind man. And he just begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone tells him to shut up and stop making such a racket. But Jesus says, call him. 
And it says, Jesus um, said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And it says immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And it was in this moment in the middle of the night that this prayer uh, came again and again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I prayed it time and time again. And I want to testify, when you're feeling at rock bottom, when you're struggling to believe God, when your faith is fragile, when there's nothing left in the tank, use that prayer. It is a powerful prayer because it is leaning on the fact that, that we don't need to bring anything to this party. We don't need to bring anything to this. We just need to lean on the name of Jesus and call on his mercy as our saviour. And I just think sometimes I've made things too complicated. We, we try and work it all out, don't they? But this is a time for simplicity. When all else is uh, left aside, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's what it's all about. You might need to pray it for yourself. You might need to pray it for someone else. The Bible says his mercy is new every morning. So I'd encourage us, pray that prayer. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes the simplest prayers are the most profound. And the fourth thing that jumped out to me is that sometimes when you struggle to believe yourself, you need others to stand in the gap. You know, while I was feeling so vulnerable through the night, particularly the second night when it felt like I was surrounded by this cloud of terror pressing in, Every now and again, these waves of peace would come. And I knew it was a spiritual battle as much as it was a physical one. And I was so aware of the prayers of the saints. You know, um, Hebrews 13 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are being mistreated since you are also in the body. And afterwards, a number of people testified that they were woken at three in the morning, four in the morning, and, and prayed for us. And I could feel it. It was like others were in the room with me. And over the years, I've done that for other people, but I've never experienced it on the receiving end. But man, I really got it that night. And I, I just want to break the lie that your prayers don't matter. That they don't count because I was on the receiving end of your prayers and felt it. We need one another. No man or woman is an island of faith. There are times when we need each other to lift us up. Sometimes when you struggle to believe yourself, you need others to stand in the gap. That's the fourth thing. And the fifth thing is that thanksgiving is the gateway to the presence of God. You know, the biggest terror for me was completely losing my sight. And it was magnified because I already had a, I already have a cataract growing in my left eye. I'm believing God that it won't continue growing. But I know that I'll likely need an operation unless God breaks in. And I, I know that's a possibility and asking God, obviously, that he'll reverse that. Uh, I've heard since that the cataracts can be reversed. So I'm praying for that now. But I'm wrestling with this terror of going blind and that's why it was so terrifying and thinking, God, how can I live for the rest of my life not able to see? And then suddenly something switched and I just thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And I just began to thank God for the 50, well, 51 year now, I'm 51 now, 51 years of sight. Some people don't even live for 50 years and many can't see or can't see well. And so in the night, I just flipped that prayer. Instead of fearing what I would lose, I just began thanking God for the 51 years of sight that I've had. And, and there was a notable, noticeable shift as I was thanked and worshipped God for my sight. You know, thanksgiving is the gateway to the presence of God. Grace is, is that none of us deserve anything. It's all by grace. Every breath is a gift from God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so tired. And none of us can say to God, how dare you? You owe me more than this. 
the scriptures say, enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. There's, no, there's a big no entry sign in front of the, uh, the presence of God for those who approach with a spirit of entitlement, who are pre, you know, those who approach God shaking their fists saying, God, you owe me something. But there is a welcome mat for those who come with gratitude. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Remember this lesson when you're facing tough seasons. Thanksgiving is the gateway to the presence of God. Just start thanking him. That's the fifth thing I, I learned in this, this uh, time. And the, and the sixth is this, that the Father is calling for earnest prayer. There's a, a story in Matthew 9 that for the last year has been rolling around my head. And it says, Jesus went through the cities, the villages, Matthew 9.35, teaching the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And what I realize is that I haven't felt this level of compassion for the lost around me that Jesus felt. I haven't ever really prayed for workers, certainly not earnestly. And it was that word earnestly that kept coming back to me. I'd never really seen it before in that sentence. I'd never seen pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Anyway, so there I am up all night praying and asking God to save my sight. On and off all night, worshipping, praying in tongues all night. It got to about 5.30. We are just about to leave to get up to go down to Moorfields in London. And as I was just about to get out of my chair, I felt the Father say, now that was earnest prayer. That was it. Now that was earnest prayer. And I realised I'm calling out for those, for my physical sight. Have I prayed earnestly for those who've got no spiritual sight? And that same earnest spirit that I'm prepared to cry out for my physical sight. Yeah, to lose your physical sight is a hard thing, but what about uh, the multitude who are spiritually without sight? And the Lord is calling me and showing me true earnest prayer in that moment. And I believe it's not just for me, it's for us as a community. They're calling to earnest prayer. He's asking us, will we be a people who cry out for revival? Yes, for the physically sick, but also for the spiritually sick, for those who, who, who need workers to come to them. How will they ever know if we don't send workers to help them and to hear and to share the gospel with them? You know, in, in Azusa Street, the famous uh, revival that swept the globe, it started in downtown Los Angeles, 1906, uh, went through to 1915. The Azusa Street revival, incredible miracles, the glory of God was so thick. And people went from that place to all over the world carrying this message of the kingdom and, and of God who comes and visits his people. I think 650 million people, they estimate now, across the world can trace their spiritual lineage to that six-year meeting in Azusa Street. And phenomenal. Um, and many have heard of that, but have you ever heard of Joseph Small? He pastored a small Baptist church in Los Angeles and he began reading the book of Acts and began saying, why not? Why them and not us? Why can't God do it again? And he began having this longing to see what happened in the book of Acts in his day. And so he gathered a group of people to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit. He prayed so fervently that the Baptist church actually kicked him out. They thought he was an extremist. So he went down the road and started a different meeting to cry out, why can't we have this now? And they prayed for a number of years until one day a lady came to the meeting and said, hey, I was on the other side of L.A. and there's something going on. There's a move of God. So they abandoned their little meeting and head over and they formed the first group that ultimately became the Azusa Street Revival. And in this time of recovery after the operation, I felt the Lord say, get the church revival ready. You're not ready for revival. You can't run a marathon with no training. You can't survive a revival without preparation. I'm preparing the church for revival to get her in shape so that the wineskin doesn't split 
and the wine isn't wasted. Get yourself revival ready. You've prayed for revival, but you're not revival ready. Get yourself revival ready. And as we emerge from COVID into this world, are we going to get ready for revival? I believe the Lord is preparing for revival, and I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready to partner with what God wants to do on the earth. I want to learn to pray earnestly for it. I want to be a worker in the harvest. And so those are the few things that I've uh, uh, learned in this season. And uh, in the midst of the darkness, what the enemy planned for evil, God actually turned for good. And I come out spiritually stronger and sharper than I was before I went in. So just a reminder, unprocessed disappointment robs you of faith. Is it time to process some of the disappointment from the last two years? It's time for war. It is time for war. It's time to go to war and contend again for our healing anointing as a community. The simplest prayers can be the most profound. Sometimes all we can cry is, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I'd encourage you, cry out. That, that prayer is a profound prayer. Sometimes when you struggle to believe yourself, you need others to stand in the gap. And we need to be those who stand in the gap for our friends, for our loved ones, for our neighbours, for those even that we don't know. Thanksgiving is the gateway to the presence of God. And the Father is calling for earnest prayer. I hope those were encouragements for you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again for those who prayed for me in this uh, season. God bless.